Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. Eternal God, in the reading of the scripture, may your word be heard. In the meditations of our hearts, may your word be known. In the faithfulness of our lives, may your word be shown. Amen. Mary stood outside near the tomb crying. As she cried, she bent down to look into the tomb. She saw two angels dressed in white seated where the body of Jesus had been, one at the head and one at the foot. The angel asked her, woman, why are you crying? She replied, they have taken away my Lord and I don't know where they've put him. As soon as she, saw, as soon as she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she replied, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and, um, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Abuni, which means teacher. Um, Jesus said to her, Don't hold on to me for for I haven't yet gone up to my father. Go to, the, go to my brothers and sisters and tell them, I'm going up to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene left and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. Then she told him what he had said to her, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It's beginning to look a lot like Easter. <laughs> There's this uh, interesting phrase, um, Mary Easter. Um, Mary Easter seems quite strange. Um, I, I had read it in an uh, essay in the 80s, but then found that um, Steve Harvey, um, of great, interesting, fumbling fame, um, after having fumbled the Miss Universe pageant, uh, greeted everyone on Christmas Eve through Twitter by saying, Merry Easter. <laughs> Merry Easter seems strange. If you can imagine, it's that time of the year again when Sunday school children are coloring pictures of Jesus hanging from a cross and shop owners have filled their windows with gaily colored cutouts of the flogging at the pillar. In the malls, the soundtrack for everyone is Via Dolorosa or O Sacred Head Now Wounded. Did you hear the chipmunks version of it? Car dealers are promoting great big empty tomb size discounts on Toyotas. Have you caught up with me? We celebrate Christmas one way and Easter another. And if you think about it, Christmas has a large and colorful, oh wait, I'm sorry, I have my visual Uh, uh, all, the, all the fancy preacher magazines say you should have a good opening joke. But let's be honest, Christmas has a large and colorful cast of characters, including not only some very wonderful angels, shepherds, uh, even a cute baby to tighten the focus on as you celebrate the birth of Jesus. But the gospels, there's no grand pageant 
There's no grand story, no swell of music, no cute baby to focus on. It is a gritty, difficult story, highlighted by the strangeness of how we do and don't celebrate it. The Easter story, in some ways, you have a little bit of an argument about, was it two angels that spoke to Mary? Was it Mary and the, uh, Mary Magdalene and the other women? Was it um, first that Mary went or the disciples go? And then, of course, you have that whole shorter ending of Mark. You know, Mark ends with saying, and they were scared and told no one. It just doesn't present itself for a really good Charlie Brown special or for an after-school special. The Gospels are powerful and important. The truth of the matter, though, is no Easter, no Christianity. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then Christmas is meaningless. We tend to capture our imagination around Christmas. Whether you're a child, you know the change that's coming with Christmas is that your toy box is gonna be upgraded. And if you're an adult, come on, haven't we always uh, wanted to wish for a huge car in our driveway with a bow the size of three villages? But see, Easter doesn't bring that kind of physical change. There's no upgrade to the toy box. There's no large, empty-sized tomb discounts on Toyotas. It turns back to be more of an interesting internal moment. A moment where we have to confront ourselves that things that we knew were part of life, right? We say often at our house, the two things you have to do is pay taxes and die. (laughs) Taxes are coming. Hopefully death is a little bit further off. But Easter kind of calls into question one of those. Well, what is this man who on the third day is raised again? You know, in Jewish uh, beliefs, um, uh, death was uh, a pretty final moment. Uh, Death was done. In fact, uh, death was something that didn't get changed in the Jewish faith until the end of time when God comes back and resets uh, the stage for everyone, that those who had been oppressed um, would be lifted up, uh, those who had become oppressors would be um, lowered. You know, there was this idea that that resurrection only happened when the clock on the calendar zeroed out at the end. Now we have those wonderful stories from um, uh, Ezekiel with the Valley of Tribones, but that's not a story of Easter, that's a story of the end judgment. And so we have that, uh, if you think about it, that reversal of the dying process as the bones come together and the sinews come on it and the muscles come on it and then um, the skin comes onto it and then the breath of life comes into it. Completely different story. In fact, when Jesus talks about uh, being resurrected, you know, the, the disciples were good Jews. They were like, okay, into the world, got it. But then Jesus says, yes, I'm going to suffer and die. And on the third day, whoa, 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 I've got commitments. If the world's going to end in three days, can we renegotiate? You see, Jesus's words were shattering in many ways. When we uh, continue to look 
at the story of the resurrection, it's easy for us to say that the resurrection is a wonderful philosophical move by Jesus to encourage us to uh, forgive ourselves for our faults and to move on into new life, that hope brings hope and that it'll get better if we just keep trying. But we need to be honest here. The resurrection is not a philosophical move for positive psychology, for self-improvement by just more effort, and you'll get there. Let's be honest. There was a real man who died, and a real man who was brought back to life. And so the need for a body is an important thing. When we talk about the story of the resurrection, um, we, we get this clarity around Mary Magdalene coming to the tomb to prepare the body, because you had to have a body. No body meant someone had stolen it. So Mary goes to prepare at the, uh, at the tomb, the body, and her encounter with the resurrected Lord was not with a ghost. Right? She mistakes him for a gardener. I need to be honest here, not, I've, not that I've encountered ghosts in an often, uh, often in my life, but I'm pretty sure if I did, I wouldn't mistake them for the gardener. I mean, what, what horror story does this? What Halloween story of things that go bump in the night make you go, oh, I mistaken you, uh, the gardener, for a ghost. So Mary, um, not having noticed Jesus at first, then hears the words and recognizes her Savior and is overwhelmed with joy. The need for a body is important. Let's be honest. Um, Thomas, the, the disciple, um, what does he say? He wasn't there. He wasn't there when everybody was together. He wasn't there when Jesus came back in Galilee. He wasn't there. He felt like he had missed out, missed a trip. As a younger sibling, I can appreciate the challenge of missing a trip. And so Thomas says, uh-uh. Unless, right, you've read the scripture, unless I put my hands in the wounds and touch the, uh, the holes in his hands, um, it is not true for me. And what does Jesus do? He shows up. He says, come on, come on, Thomas. I know you're a concrete learner. Put your hands in the side and touch the wounds. I'm pretty sure anything less than a real body would have made Thomas less than satisfied. So a real man dies, and a real man is raised on the third day. Now, um, let me get my next screen up here. When we look at the scripture, um, the 20, chapter 20, verses 14, the last half, she, Mary, turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. I, th this is that powerful moment. She did not know that it was Jesus. Um, it, you know, I, I have to imagine that the world that the disciples lived in, from the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday uh, to the turning over the tables in the temple on Monday to the conflict and intrigue throughout Wednesday, coming to a head of the arrest on Thursday, the all-night trial over Thursday into Friday, the walk down uh, towards Golgotha, um, the powerful movements of Jesus stumbling under the carrying of his own 
cross. And then finally, uh, those seven last words, those ways in which um, uh, Jesus um, takes care of his mother by uh, asking John to take care of her, those ways in which he cries out to God, all witnessed by the disciples, all present for the drama, all conflicted with the results. Sure, they heard, I'm going to suffer, die, and on the third day be raised again. But I don't know, if I was there, I think I'd just kind of be in shock, in denial. So they hid after he was buried. They went out to prepare the body, because that's just what you do. And then they made plans to go fishing. But Mary, Mary saw Jesus standing there. Once she finally realized who he was, she ran to tell the rest of the disciples. It's helpful to say that in the biblical narrative, in a New Testament world, women were more often property than anything else. So even in the telling of the story, even in who discovers Jesus, even in the way that she recognizes him and runs to tell everyone else, it is an unlikely story that brings release and beauty to everyone. The story of the resurrection, the story of life conquering death by way of death, it's just even hard to grasp. But the new life that comes is powerful. I mean, we've all talked about the uh, caterpillars that become the cocoons and then become the butterfly. Uh, this next uh, sermon series, we'll be talking about awakenings, about how uh, visions uh, and experience of, is of the resurrected Jesus transform people's understandings in the Bible. It creates a shift of holy proportions as they awaken to the new life. But when we start talking about bunnies and Easter eggs, and we, we talk about the new life and the new beginnings, we talk about the empty tomb, there's one person that I wonder about. New life for everyone, except what about Judas? New life for everyone, Except what about Judas? You know the story of Judas. We can actually do uh, public opinion polls with people in America. Um, they may not know a whole lot about the gospel story, but they know that Judas was the, the villain. Um, in, in fact, uh, in, in Europe, um, uh, when uh, a high-paid soccer player uh, changes teams for a higher contract, at the first game, usually the home crowd that lost him, they chant what? Judas, Judas. I mean, we know that Judas stands for betrayal. Judas's name has become easy shorthand for treachery. Uh, you know, the story, Judas wanted to force Jesus's hand, and so he took 30 pieces of silver from the religious elite um, so as to identify and single out Judas in the, er, Jesus in the garden by kissing him on the cheek. And then as he was arrested and turned over, Judas knew of his mistake. Um, he ran off, um, uh, one gospel story tells us, deeply depressed, uh, and so deeply depressed that he took his life. Now, what's interesting about Judas's story in our day and time is that Christianity tends to paint the world in black and white terms, so we shuffle all the bad things onto Jesus. I mean, why not? 
Everybody needs a scapegoat. I, I mean, throughout the, the Easter story, um, when the crowd shouts, crucify him, it wasn't us. We were with the disciples. When Peter is around the, um, the fire in the courtyard denying Jesus, it, it wasn't us. We would have been with those non-denying Peters who weren't denying Jesus. And, and then when we come to the story of the kiss, it would never have been us, never us. We would have been with the other 11, not with the one who messed it up for everybody. I mean, it's easy to paint in black and white terms that Judas is a good representation of all that's bad of us. Well, maybe not us, maybe you. Did you get the turn? Now, there are a number of legends um, throughout Christianity, stories where um, scholars and teachers have tried to write story in between the words of the text. And so one of those, uh, one of those stories is very interesting that when Jesus uh, died, um, he went all the way to the place of the dead. Uh, you can describe it however you want to. Um, and there he found Adam and Eve and reached out his hand to both Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve reached out their hands to somebody next to them. And together Jesus rose from the dead, bringing all of the dead with him. It's not scripture, but it's a beautiful story about how that redemption happens. Well, there's another uh, legend, uh, a legend about Judas. It said that when Judas died, Judas uh, woke up uh, in a pit, um, a deep pit, a pit that was so deep that he could not see light at the top of the pit. And it said that um, there uh, Judas uh, sat, knelt, prayed, and cried, and repented of his sin for about a thousand years. Don't put a clock on that. It's a legend. And after about a thousand years, he looks up and he sees a pinpoint of light way at the top of the pit. And he wonders what that light might be. A thousand years go by, and he decides it's time that light has grown and it's brighter. And so he's decided he's going to climb out of this deep pit. And as he pulls himself up, little by little, over time, the legend says a thousand years, consistency, right? As he pulls himself to the top of the pit, peeking over, pulling his whole body up, laying exhausted on the ground next to the open pit, he finds himself where? In a familiar room. It's the upper room. All the disciples are there. Jesus is at the head of the table. And there's one chair that's empty. And Jesus says to Judas in the legend, we've been waiting for you. Now we can begin. Come and join us at the table. You see, what's powerful about What's powerful about that story is it's easy for us to assume that everyone else gets it and we don't. Some of us have decided that long ago, God decided we were not worthy of whatever the fruits were to come from Easter. We're happy to slide under the radar and get a few presents for Christmas, but Easter, that's for those real Christians, not us. But who are we to say who Jesus has invited to the party? Who are we to say what Easter is really for? Who are we to say that new life is only for those who get it right? Seems like the ones that need new life are the ones that have made horrible problems and horrible choices. Friends, the Easter message is this. One more. 
The truth is that Christ invites all who have come to an ending, all who have left their lives behind, all who want to start again. That could be Judas. That could be you. That could be me. Easter is about new life, a celebration of new life, not just bunnies and butterflies, but people who betray their teachers, people who make horrible choices, people who forget to put first things first, and who have come to an ending, who have left their lives behind, and who want to start again. Friends, Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And isn't Alleluia the right word for the celebration today? Alleluia. Christ is risen.